0: Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. From WDEV in Waterbury,
1: Vermont, welcome to VT viewpoint, the live radio show, where we talk to everyone building the new Vermont and protecting the old one. I'm Kevin Ellis in the chair and at the mic where we take you by beyond the headlines to explain how Vermont and the nation really work. To do that, we talk with guests in Vermont and around the country of all kinds with different points of view, and boy, are we going to do that today. Our goal, as always, is exploration and insight. It's Friday, March 3rd, and we have a packed show. I've, I've got seven days in front of me. i got the Times Argus on the computer. I've got Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram I've got the weather report, and I've got Greg Titus in the control booth. He, on the short end of the recent uh, playoff run for the Harwood Highlanders, girls basketball team they came up short the other night and he is here live in the studio. It's a sad day.
2: Yeah, it's it's sad. You hate to lose, but still what what a season. <laughs> and, and, and and in the end and you've been a coach. Um, you and again, full credit to North Country because because overall uh, North Country is unbeaten, and, and for a very good reason. We would have had to play a fantastic game, and they would have had to struggle a little bit, and, and, and that didn't happen. So, yeah, uh, congratulations to North Country, but, uh, uh boy, uh, our girls were fantastic this year.
1: I pledge to do a full show on this subject because there is something about people, uh, grown adults. <laughs> I went to Barry Aud the other night and watched uh, a series of girls' games, and there's something about the people who care about this that it borders on illness, um, and I include myself in that. Well, uh, And
2: you had someone earlier this week, Tom Haley. Tom, Tom has the disease, uh, the sports writer yeah. for the Rutland Herald. Yeah. He's got the disease full on, man. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no and, cure.
1: And sitting in the bleachers at the odd, you know, you walk in there and you see friends you haven't seen in 20 years. And yeah. uh, it is just the most fun. But boy, to coach uh, boys and girls basketball at at any level in Vermont, you've got to be you're in it not for the money. Let me tell you. Oh boy,
2: no, not even not even close. Love yeah. of the game, right? Uh, that, that's what the makes a difference.
1: And love of kids, and yeah. that's what we got to keep coming back to in this crazy world of ours. Yeah, yeah, you're doing it for the girls. They are banning books in Florida actually covering them up on library shelves to comply with new laws passed by the legislature there and Governor Ron DeSantis. And my favorite bookstore, Bear Pond Books in Montpelier, is responding. And we will talk with Bear Pond owner Claire Benedict and children's book section Bossy Pants, Jane Knight. She told me I could use that phrase. Um, At 9.15. Then, on to D.C. for politics with Bob Ney. We'll get an update on the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. And then, to the insider political junkie story of the week with seven days reporters, open phones, and who knows what else. The story of now Congresswoman Becca Ballant and her receipt of tens of thousands of dollars in political contributions from from crypto bros who turned out to be bad guys. Here's my question that I want everybody to think about as we approach that very sensitive topic. This guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, and his crypto buddies turned out to be bad guys. But when Becca Ballant took their campaign contributions, she didn't know they were bad guys. So my question is... What makes taking money from them any different from taking money from Wall Street bankers, uh, the sugar beet industry, uh, and, and who knows what else. But we will, that, that's a question on the table to provoke some discussion. We'll do that from 1015 to the end of the show. Um, and it promises to be, uh, complex and interesting. So we'll go slow. Uh, did it change balance historic election uh, victory in the primary? The allegation is made that it does, uh, but we're going to question the seven days reporters about it. And we will talk about it from as many angles as we can. But first, a few headlines. S5, the so-called Affordable Heat Act around climate and energy, passed the Vermont Senate yesterday on a 19 to 11 vote. But only after being watered down over concern that it would raise the cost of heating fuel for seniors and poor people. So I was there watching it. The uh, An amendment was raised at the last minute that basically sent this uh, bill to the Public Utility Commission for a study. And then this program after that study has to come back to the legislature for an affirmative vote before anything can take place that's a serious watering down of a major climate and energy bill which seeks to create a credit exchange program with a fee on fuel oil fuel and propane dealers to drive vermont consumers to switch from oil and gas to electric heat in the form of heat pumps. Okay, I said that really slowly because that's how complicated this thing is. Um, And the big concern, not just among Republicans, but also Democrats, was that this would, in the short term, raise your heating bill. Now, in the long term, the studies pretty much show that Switching to electricity will stabilize your heating costs and lower your bills. But in the short term, um, and we had Governor Scott on the show recently, and he is really opposed to this. And pretty clear he'll veto this again, as he did last year. The difference is um, I don't think – Uh, he, the, the, I think the legislature has the votes to override it. But now to go deeper down the political rabbit hole, which you always get with me, the sponsor of the amendment that watered it down and sent it to the political, the, the, uh, public utility commission is Senator Jane Kitchell of Caledonia County, uh, the daughter of dairy farmers in Danville. She introduced the amendment. She is the chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee. Behind her back, I call her the governor of the legislature. Um, she uh, – I have no doubt that before she introduced that amendment, which passed, uh, that she had a conversation with the governor or the governor's staff and got the okay to do that. And that may mean that the governor – she bought – the governor's promise not to veto that that bill total speculation uh but uh Jane Kitchell is in communication with the governor she's a democrat he's a republican but uh Jane Kitchell's old school big time and she doesn't just pop off and do things uh, on her own she is the uh as I say, she's the governor of the legislature. So S-5 has passed. It's off to the House. Undoubtedly, the House will uh, take out a bunch of stuff and make it more progressive. Um, and uh, and then they will head to a conference committee sometime in the spring with the, where they will fight it out. So that'll be interesting. The Vermont House banned childhood marriages for those under 18 years old. Uh, there was concern. Uh, and my representative, uh, uh, first-year uh, Representative Ella Chapin of East Montpelier sponsored this bill, um, concerned that 15-, uh, 16-, 17-year-old girls are sometimes in Vermont forced into marriages before they're 18. That bill passed the House. It's on its way to the Senate. And a lawmaker wants to legalize open-air cremation. Cue the Star Wars theme song and the famous – 1983 – the famous scene where Luke Skywalker watches his father, Darth Vader, being burned in a funeral pyre. Everybody – when I was a kid, I thought, oh, God, Luke's getting back at his dad for being so mean. He's burning him. And I realized later – it was based on a on a on an ancient Hindu tradition of of piling the, the the raft with wood and putting the the body on the raft and lighting it and and sending it down the river uh, the, the George Lucas was doing exactly that with the with the Darth Vader scene and um uh, the sponsor of that bill uh remembered that scene and it turns out that it's illegal to do a funeral pyre, P-Y-R-E, in Vermont, and he's got a bill uh, to uh, legalize it. And girls and boys high school basketball, full swing at the Barry Auditorium uh, this Saturday. Oh, my heavens. And next week as well, the boys get into full swing. Wednesday, Saturday, 6.30 games, although some of these games tonight because of the snowstorm coming, are starting, I can't remember, I think Hazen's starting at 6, and there's one that's starting at 5 because a Rutland team has to go up to Newport. But uh, watch your times, Argus, uh, for those start times and adjust accordingly. Stay safe on the roads. Uh, we're going to come right back with Claire Benedict and Jane Knight. We're going to talk about their program uh, to combat uh, book banning, In Florida and across the country. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV.
0: Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos, including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group. We're more than just radio.
1: We got a new, we got a new producer at the soundboard. He's a little new. He's probably only done this for about 37 years. How many years?
2: Let me see. I started the DV in 1977. So yeah, yeah, I'm going to get it here. Before before I'm finished, I'm going to have this under
1: control. I, God, I can't believe how long people have been doing the things that they're doing. I think the best people in the world are librarians. And basketball coaches. The second best people in the world may just be the owners and staff of your local bookstore. They are always the ones that sound the alarm around literacy and the availability of books and reading, especially to young people. And we have the leadership of my favorite place, Montpelier owned Montpelier's own, sorry, Bear Pond Books, owner Claire Benedict and I've already introduced you as Children's Book Space Bossy Pants. <laughs> I like that. Jane Knight of East Montpelier are live in the studio right now to talk about book banning in Florida and what they're trying to do about it. Welcome to you both.
3: Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Okay. It's good to
1: be here. It's so great to have you. Um, nothing like live radio in the studio. Uh, I don't drink much. And I don't do drugs, but when it comes to books, that's another issue. <laughs> BearPond is famous for not divulging the uh, buying history of its customers because, uh, back in the privacy days when the government wanted to know, uh, wanted your list, you famously either destroyed them or, uh, or just kept them secret. I can't remember, but that um, was a long time that was ago. Actually
4: before my time,
1: oh, but I my believe gosh. they were
4: destroyed, right Jane? You were here. Uh, I well I thought we just refused to, we would refuse to turn anything over. Yeah. That was what I remember. I'm not sure if we destroyed anything. So
1: I'm not
5: sure.
4: that's a question for Michael Katzenberg. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's
1: really good that my buying history at Bear Pond Books is not a public uh, thing cuz it would be <laughs> I'd be hauled away by my family, probably. Um, Okay. I'm going to, I'll do the political stuff so you don't have to. So Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida and his legislature, uh, they want you to not be able to teach uh, about uh, gay people in schools. Now what they're doing is they are banning books. And the result is that Bookshelves in school libraries and other locations are coming up empty or incredibly being covered up by librarians so that children's minds will not be polluted by everything from Judy Bloom to uh, the worst one I saw was the biography of Re- the famous baseball star Roberto Clemente uh, because he spent his life combating racism at every level. Uh, They've covered up his book, apparently. So, in response, Bear Pond Books is sponsoring an online program to get books into the hands of kids in Florida. Tell us, Claire, about it.
3: Well, um, we were Jane and I, and all of us at Bear Pond, are kind of appalled at the news and the pictures coming out of Florida. To have empty uh, bookshelves in classrooms is just beyond the pale, as far as we're concerned. And... um, We wanted to do something. It's kind of hard to know what to do here from Vermont, but um, we came up with sponsoring a book drive. We are asking our customers to purchase a book by two local authors, and we will send them to the Florida Freedom to Read Project, who we've uh, developed a relationship with. They're doing great work on the ground in Florida. And uh, we want to get books in their hands so they can get them in the hands of school children who are being denied books in school. And when I say books, I don't mean they're just being denied certain books like that somebody has objected to. Mm-hmm. They are being denied all books in schools, classrooms and libraries.
1: Okay. So at three in the morning when I was thinking about this topic and getting angrier and angrier, I, yes, I that's
3: the best time I, to get angry.
1: I started s <laughs> I started scrolling and I saw and, and this is a little off topic, but we are now changing some of the words in uh road uh books. So James and the Giant Peach is gonna have new language. Um uh, but then I dug it down the rabbit hole and some of, uh, you know, Shakespeare's uh, words are being changed. Uh, some of Dr. Seuss's words were changed, uh, to fit the, the context of the times. Um, this starts to get pretty complicated. Yes. And, and I don't know, uh, I don't know whether, uh, Fits, should we be changing Huckleberry the words in Huckleberry Finn to fit fit our uh, the context of our times? Uh, I, I'm I'm not sure where I come down on that. Well, I, it's a tough one. I,
4: I come down on not doing it, but you do. <laughs> I think I would too, because then you have um, you have a conversation. You can have a conversation and you can learn from it. You can talk about why was this put in and, and why. Is this not something that we, you know, that we can learn from, that we, it's not a word that we use anymore?
3: And why and, was it acceptable at the time, and exactly. how have things changed since then? I mean, that
4: is education, is having critical conversations.
1: And every time I weaken on my First Amendment rights history, I get brought back to reality by bookstore owners. Yeah.
3: <laughs> that's what we're here for, Kevin.
1: Yeah, that's right. So what you're saying is that discomfort... Is a good thing, not a bad thing.
3: That's how we learn. Yeah, you can't just whitewash history and pretend that, you know, Huckleberry Finn didn't talk about slaves in the way they did or um, use the N-word like they did. It did happen. And yeah. to pretend it didn't happen is not evolved. It is whitewashing.
1: Okay. Let's get back to – now that we've set the political context uh, – I, I don't know the name of the law in Florida that they passed, but it's something called, like, the Stop Woke Act, um, which
3: – I mean, they're doing all kinds of crazy things. Yeah, they're doing all fine in, kinds um, of things. Florida, honestly, they're attacking education at a number of different levels. Um, what is so concerning about what they're doing in the schools is that they are – threatening teachers. They're not telling teachers that there are specific books they can't have in their classroom. They're telling teachers, don't have any book that hasn't been approved in your classroom. So they're not defining what that is. And they are threatening them with felonies. They've put a law on the books that it is a felony for a teacher to bring in a book that hasn't been approved. So that means at this point, since they don't have approved books, teachers are afraid to bring any books in. Because they could be challenged. They're going to be fired, and they're going to be charged with a felony. Now, if you're a third-grade teacher in some school, like, are you going to take that risk on? Most people aren't. Most people are not in the position to fight the entire state of Florida.
1: So Greg is whistling at me through the window. We do? I don't see it on the screen. Um, I forgot to say that uh, we will take your calls uh, at 244-1777. And uh, let me ask – I want to get one more question in before we take the call. Um, so, okay, let's go back to the program. So in response, you have an online uh, program to buy books from two authors, and you will ship them to Florida. Jane?
4: So, yes, two local authors, Corey McCarthy and Keckla Magoon. Oh, well. Um, and they are, uh, chapter books through young adult books. Um, they talk about Kekla's books. Um, one is, uh, civil rights or civil war history from a, a black, um, army, you know, officer. And, um, there's also, uh, Cory McCarthy has a science fiction, uh, chapter book, uh, for kids probably, 3rd to 6th grade, um, which contains kids who are non-binary. So we're trying to send books that um, reflect kids who don't normally see themselves in books, black children, queer children, um, kids who are vulnerable in the state of Florida who are not going to see themselves represented if these books are taken away. So uh, we wanted to support our local authors. Uh, We wanted to support the kids in Florida and just... um, you know, make sure that we're sort of hitting all the all the vulnerable kids.
1: Okay, now let's get to the mechanics. So you go to
3: There, On our front page, in the slides of our front page, you'll see um, a, a banner for this for the book drive. Um, you can also go under a tab that says the children's room, and you can link that way as well. And there's a whole page that will explain um how to buy the books, just buy them on our website, not in the store. This is um, through our website. Do
1: not come to the store <laughs> unless you want to okay. buy books.
3: Okay. I don't really like that message. <laughs> but. <laughs> but for this, you can do it online. Um, choose uh, pick up in store as your delivery method. You do not need to pick it up in the store. That is just to bypass shipping costs, and we will send it on for you. Um, and there's a second part of this as well, which yeah. you'll see at this link, which is we are um, raising just money for the same organization um, by selling Read More, Ban Less sweatshirts. And these are also available at the same link at the store on the website. And um, it's, these are great
1: sweatshirts. We did a fundraiser with them once before. How much? All of the pre- proceeds. How much? Okay, I'm buying one.
3: Great. Um, Great.
1: 38.
3: Um, all of the yeah. proceeds children's go... Children's sweatshirts, too. Yeah. Kids children's but, sweatshirts, yeah, too. Many, there's hoodies, there's crew necks. there's children's, Great. there's multiple colors, there's Great. all sizes, um, and all of the proceeds are going to the Florida Freedom to Read Project, so um, you can make your purchase online. These are These sweatshirts are not in the store, and this is a limited-time offer, so... If you want
1: one, get it now. Okay. And the author's Jane. Yes. Is, am I pronouncing this right? Kekla Magoon? Yes. And uh, who is a, a faculty member at the Vermont College of Fine Arts. Correct. On the Council of the National Writing Project. And Cora McCarthy. Corey McCarthy. Corey, sorry. Corey McCarthy mm-hmm. is, the, uh, is an acclaimed author of middle grade and young adult novels, including the Stonewall honor book Man of War. And the Ace Takes Flight series.
4: Both of which are part of his campaign.
1: And she, Corey, he? He, they. He, they Mm -hmm. uh, is on the faculty of the Vermont College of Fine Arts and lives in the Montpelier area. If you're out there, Corey or Keck, give us a call. 244-1777. We'd love to talk to you about your books. Why, Jane, did you pick those two books?
4: Because they're local authors. Because we support our local authors and because they support children who are marginalized. They write about kids who don't get to see themselves in books every day, like I do. That's why we chose those.
1: Okay, now, I'm going to – no, you know what? We're not going to do that because that's going to take us down a long rabbit hole. Uh do we have a call?
2: Actually no, uh, Claire apparently, uh, can see into the future because she answered the question that our caller had when she gave the information about, about, <laughs> <laughs> about, uh, about, about how to order, about how to order the books to send to Florida. So good, good job Claire.
3: Okay, BearPondBooks.com.
1: <laughs> uh, you can't say it enough. Uh, so, okay, I'm gonna put on my, um White Christian conservative hat here. You
3: don't own that hat, Kevin. And
1: set us, and set us up for the segment after our break, which is there are topics that I don't want my six year old, uh, reading about in school. I want him or her reading about, uh, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, right? Jane?
4: That sounds
1: really boring. Yeah, it sounds really <laughs> boring. Yeah.
4: So what topic would you not want your six-year-old to read about?
1: A sexuality, um, uh, non-binary stuff before they're ready. Don't, don't we want to, them to wait till they're 12 or 13 or 14? To
4: decide who they are? they always sort of evolving into who they are from birth?
1: Oh man, we're what about, gonna.
4: Are you as a parent? So, as a parent, if you had a child, maybe you did, who liked to uh, dress non-like non-conforming, who was considered, you know, a boy by birth but wanted to dress in dresses, or just depended on the day. Would you have felt uncomfortable if you saw a picture book with a child that, you know? dressed the way your child did? Wouldn't you want your child to be able to see themselves in picture books and not feel shame because they don't conform to what society is
1: telling them? Our guests are Claire Benedict and Jane Knight from Bear Pond Books. Basically, the two women that raised my children when they were tiny. Our children would march up to the children's book section in Bear Pond and slump down in the beanbag chairs and uh, read, oh, God, uh, Tamara Pierce. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter still reads them. She's <laughs> she's 28 years old and works in Washington on Capitol Hill and we will call, and she's rereading Harry Potter or um, Tamara Pierce books.
4: Rereading is an excellent thing to do.
1: I, I can't do it.
4: Can't just do it. can't
1: do it. You do it? Rarely. Yeah. I
4: just did, but I rarely do. But yeah. I want to. <laughs> and I think it's a great exercise to it's reread books. It's very gratifying books. when you do.
1: It
3: is.
4: Yeah. Mostly. Mostly, some things don't hold up for me.
1: That's true. (laughs) Usually,
4: you reread something that you really love.
1: Yes, yes. So we're talking books, but we're really talking book banning uh, because in Florida, books, uh, bookshelves in school libraries are increasingly empty under threat of felony prosecution of librarians. (laughs) I have a daughter-in-law who works at the Library of Congress. Just I want to brag about that
4: on the air publicly. I just got my Library of Congress card. Oh. love having she'll, it in my wallet.
1: She'll give you a tour on yes. your next trip to D.C. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, and she got a master's in library science at the University of Maryland. She'll be glad we're talking about her on the air. Uh, so the, the idea that somebody like my daughter-in-law would be charged with a felony for uh, promoting certain certain kinds of books is, is, a, is a, a disturbing uh, thought. So... Let's talk about what what else is going on and the problem that you're trying to address. Uh, th- this is the Stop Woke Act, that is um, that's telling librarians that they can only put certain books on the shelves, and they have to get approval to put those books on the shelves. And from what I read last night, uh, they don't know what books are permissible to put on shelves or not. There's no central authority that's telling no, them what they can and no, can't it's do.
3: Just- Fear tactics, really, just to – I think it's very intentional that they're not telling them what they can have. It's just instilling fear so that nothing's happening and everybody's cowering. And it's really an alarming place for the United States to be in the year 2023.
1: We take your calls on that non-controversial subject at 244-1777. We'd love to have your calls. Uh, Okay, why did you decide to do this program? Either one of you.
4: Well, we—I think it was last fall—we decided to have a, a book drive to send books, queer books, and books about trans kids to Texas, uh, amidst all the flurry of the Texas fans and the parents being, you know, threatened when they, you know, help their children through um, hormone therapy. You know, with families being threatened who were supporting their children so we hosted a book drive um and sent about 70 plus copies of man of War* by cory mccarthy which is a ya book uh a novel about a um young person who is going um through um transition and what it's like and how it feels and it is sort of a One of the first book of its kind, it's just won a Prince Honor Award by the American Library Association. Um, Stonewall Honor. Stonewall Honor. Yep. So that's
1: Stonewall after the Stonewall riots in New York City. I presume. I I would think
4: so. Okay. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, so we that was a successful book drive for us. We were very happy to connect with a very small or, nonprofit who uses it in book clubs with trans kids and non-binary kids. So we thought we would do it again once yeah. we started freaking out about Florida. Yeah, and our
3: customers really appreciated that one, and so we knew that they would appreciate this as well. They want to do something, and people don't know what to do. So we wanted to. Give them a little focus this on is a,
4: one way that they can help. one tangible is, thing we can do.
1: And the tangible thing is, Bear Pond customers can go on your website, buy these books from Kekla Magoon and Corey McCarthy, local authors, and you will ship them to Florida, to the Florida Freedom to Read Project, and they will then distribute them to kids in Florida. That's the mechanics. Yes.
3: yes.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, Say the website one more time.
3: (laughs) Bearpondbooks.com.
1: It's (laughs) on a thing called the Internet.
3: (laughs) Yes, www. Right. Um, And
1: there's a a banner at the top that's flowing. There's a banner at the
3: top of the page, and there's another way you can get to it. You click on the children's room tab. There's a, it'll say book drive, band book drive, um, underneath that too, so.
1: You can can also just call Jane or Claire at (laughs) (laughs) 229-0774, and somebody will answer the phone. Uh, Better yet, go into Bear Pond and buy some books.
3: It's also on our Facebook page. It's on our Instagram. You can find us.
1: Uh, Do you ever get pushback from customers uh, who don't like what you're doing? Infrequently. Infrequently, yeah.
4: I've never had pushback in the children's room, thankfully. I have not had any parents or concerned grandparents come in to challenge what we carry. We're Is lucky it, here.
1: I, I was. <laughs> my wife and I were watching a show the other day about I don't you know spies killing each other in Syria, and and I leaned over to her and said, I think that's why we live here. Uh, we. We're so lucky to live here in so many ways. And what you just said is, you know, we don't have a lot of these culture wars going on in our face on a daily basis on this issue here like they do in Florida. Because
4: we're not afraid to talk about hard things in schools and in our communities. It's how we learn and grow. It's how we learned from things like the Holocaust is we have books and, you know, we can talk about it and we can learn from it and have Kids who grow empathy from seeing what was done. Not that they were involved personally in these, but what was done before them. And they learn that it is, you know, it feels better to, it's a big world. Exactly. And they can learn from that.
3: And reading a book about being non binary, if a child does not relate to that, doesn't make the child become non binary. It makes the child. Learn compassion for others. Reading fiction, particularly, builds compassion and empathy. And children need to know about the whole world, not just their tiny, tiny slice of it.
1: It strike, strikes me that those are the words not just of a bookstore owner, but of a parent. Um, you know, we we as parents have all gone through these thoughts, th- these struggles, these the the difficult conversations with our own kids. And uh, you bring that to all this discussion, right? I mean,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: this is how we try to raise our kids.
3: Yeah. And, you know, everything is in a, through the lens of what is age appropriate. Nobody, you know, in our store and what's happening in Florida, it's not about putting age inappropriate books in, I mean, we're not putting books about sexuality in the first grade classroom. Those kind of those kind of stopgaps are already in, in place, place. Oh, you know that's i mean there's already there's already rules in schools and and districts about what can what's appropriate for pornography uh, laws are already yeah. there yeah and uh, and your average librarian in an elementary school isn't going to be buying books that are for 16 year olds that's already not happening right so that that argument is kind of thrown out um, you know by people who want to kind of scare you into complying with these ideas. But those things aren't happening. That's, that's not a problem. And there's ways to deal with that at the local level. A lot of this in Florida, they're using these words, oh, it's giving parental choice. Parents should have choice. But they're not giving choice. They're taking away all of the choices. Their parents should have choices. And you, if a parent doesn't want a kid to read a book, that is certainly fine for a parent to do. That's their decision. But they're taking away that option completely and calling it choice right. when it's anything but.
1: So how do you – that was interesting. How do you uh, exercise that judgment up in the children's room at Bear Pond Books about what's age-appropriate and what's not?
4: Well, publishing, to a certain extent, already does that.
1: Publishing they does They don't
4: that. publish books that sexualize children, you know, at four, age four. So there are already those gatekeepers in publishing. I just decide – I don't even decide what's appropriate necessarily. I do decide um, what I think is, you know, good, well-written books or well-illustrated books. But um, I don't – I'm not a gatekeeper necessarily. I buy books about all children that reflect all children's experiences. Mm. They're not sexualized experiences. They're just uh, – experiences that they feel in their body, that the way they express themselves, that's gender expression, freedom of gender expression. That's not inappropriate. It's just every kid gets to express themselves in every way. And that's what I like to reflect in picture books and middle school and YA novels. Um, So I try not to censor anyone's expression in books in the children's room.
3: And well, that's what the extremists are trying to do is Conflate gender expression with sexuality, sexuality. exactly. And gender expression isn't about having sex. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, a book aimed at a third grader that maybe has a non-binary character—it's not a, that does not mean the book is about having sex. No, you know? it's and they're about... trying to conflate those things. Right, it's all scare tactics. It is. And well,
1: and that's it's that's also how... about running for president, which right. we can get and into that's how after the break. You know.
4: Gain power and stay in power is through scare tactics. They're trying to scare parents into thinking that they're teaching poor, you know, sex in, you know, second grade or in. So then parents are like, oh my God, what are they doing to my children in mm. second grade? No, it's not. That's not what's happening.
1: Claire Benedict and Jane Knight for Bear Pun Books, and they are here talking about their. Program to get books into the hands of kids in Florida because the governor and the legislature down there are taking books away from kids. Claire, it's called the Florida Freedom to Read Project. Can you tell us more about that?
4: Yes. Um, well, Jane might be able to.
3: Tell okay, us Jane. More about
1: it. Over to so you. So it's
4: basically a, f- a handful of parents who were pissed off and wanted to resist the efforts of the governor and the legislature in Florida. So uh, it's basically a group of volunteer parents getting together and connecting with the local community groups and churches uh, in every county in Florida. And they support kids who resist against the book bans. They um, dole out books to kids uh, directly who aren't getting them in their school libraries. Um, So we connected with them through Instagram and they were, uh, very busy people, uh, but very willing to talk and share their experiences. Uh, you can follow them on social media as well. Um, they are hard to, you know, hard to reach because they're on the ground moving fast. So we are just going to send the books to them and they will get them out through their networks, um, with, uh, community groups
1: and yeah. that i'm going to say in some ways it's easy for us to have this conversation and do this program here in montpelier vermont down there it's not so it's not as safe uh they're going against the grain and yeah. it's courageous yeah
3: and um I think they're getting pushback, and I think um, there's other organizations in Florida who are doing things like putting banned books into little free libraries, and that's been really popular. The Bluest Eye, apparently, is a book that was uh, banned in one county and um, and is now showing up in little free libraries all over Florida. So there's like little bits of pushback happening, but then there's people stealing books out of little free libraries, too. So it's not easy. It's not easy down there.
1: Uh, Claire... This strikes me as, to go back in time, this is just like people trying to ban Judy Bloom back when I was a kid. Um, it
3: hurts my heart. Is it the same thing? <laughs> uh, yes, it's people who are afraid, um, people who are afraid of education, people who are afraid of knowledge. Um,
4: and free expression. And free
3: expression, yeah. It's it's fear. People don't like change. They're, you know... Parenting can be very emotional. I understand that.
1: but um, Whether it's the Allberg basketball game where the, yeah. they had a riot and then the guy died on the way home yeah. of a heart attack.
3: Yeah, parents or, don't pa- always act rationally <coughs> about their children. That's parents, all I can say about
1: that. Parents <laughs> act badly. And we're in the middle of the basketball playoffs and parents act badly. And it happens all the time. Um, but luckily we have people like you to kind of leaven the... Uh, sort of smooth it out i think uh, <laughs> we're
4: hoping to spread a little rationality yes that's a good way to put it claire
1: claire you are the owner of a bookstore um that competes with the dreaded uh, uh giant a word um this does not make you money this does not pay the rent and pay the bills why do it
3: i mean i have a little bit of a You know, political activism strain in me. And Mm -hmm. when I see a way that I can use the platform of the bookstore, which has a large audience, in a way to help people who need help, um, I think that's a great thing for the store to do.
1: Jane, what's it like to work in a place that does stuff like this?
4: Well, I've been there for almost 30 years. I so to- obviously, it's a, it's something I like to do and something I'm passionate about. And I work with the best team in the entire world. So going to, you know, it's a joy to work there and also um, a passion of mine, you know, early literacy. Um, and I especially in the past 10 years, I've seen publishing sort of explode in terms of what it's willing to publish and who it's willing to publish. And that is so exciting to me. And I feel like uh, that type of education and being able to share those types of books with people in a very white state has been so gratifying. Um, and teachers are embracing it and librarians are embracing it because it's like, finally, what? What have we been waiting for? Why have the gatekeepers closed off all these, you know, windows and doors for children and people who don't look like us?
1: It, it, um, stay on that topic for a second. I'm surprised that you said that because uh, from my point of view, Hollywood doesn't do daring things. And I don't think big. the big... Six, the big three, the big five publishers in New York do the daring things either. Uh, They do what sells. They do Patterson and they do the easy stuff. And Hollywood does Tom Cruise. But you're saying that publishing is broader than I had thought.
4: Because people are demanding it. And also there is money in it. They realize that actually people who don't look like us, do spend buy money and buy books <laughs> yeah. and it's like to read. Broader.
3: It's broader. It hasn't always been, but it definitely has changed a lot in recent years.
1: Yeah, it's like when, uh, oh, I don't know, shaving cream companies discovered that gay people shave. Right, right. And they started putting gay people in their commercials.
6: Who right. knew?
1: Who knew, mm-hmm. right. They I'm not
4: saying publishing is, is <laughs> you know, doesn't have a long way to go. It still does. And the people at the top are still basically, you know, White and male, but
1: it's and come a long way. Really scared of Governor DeSantis in Florida. I mean, the you know they now are taking over Disney World and telling Disney what they can and can't say at the theme park.
4: Yeah. Not
1: that I would ever go, but
4: I hope that really hits, bites them in the you know what.
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, this is political activism in a really competitive environment and it's political activism in this day and age is sometimes scary, but you don't seem scared at all.
3: Um, Yeah. I mean, I think of it more as social activism than political activism. I mean, reading shouldn't be a political act. So I guess, I guess I shouldn't use that term, but um, yes, it is social activism. Um, no, I'm not scared because, um, I think our customers and, um, our community supports freedom of speech and freedom of
4: reading and uh and democracy it's <laughs> and, like a human rights issue yeah. i mean all children have the right to see themselves reflected in society yeah it's just an import, it's too important an issue to
3: hide from there are probably people listening right now who don't agree with us and i mean that's just the chance we're going to have to take because we're doing what we think is right
1: how many kids do you get up in the children's room <clears throat> on a daily basis? Hmm.
4: Depends on the day. It, it does. does. I mean, it's vacation week, so we have lots of kids and families coming through. You do? Oh yeah. Uh, actually, a book rep just asked me the other day, how many how many book recommendations do you get, re- you know, requests for on a daily basis? I said, oh, at least like I don't know, five or six, maybe ten. And he said, oh, there's some bookstores I hear from that. They don't get requests for recommendations all week. And I thought, oh, that's so strange. I get them all the time from people who, you know, who trust us, who come up and and say, what do you recommend? So.
1: And the children's book section, I got to say, in Bear Pun Books, is not your average uh, section of a bookstore. There is a live animal. (laughs) <laughs> uh, up there?
4: Oh, um, our favorite. Veruca.
3: Veruca? Veruca. Veruca yeah.
1: The Veruca. Russian tortoise. The Russian tortoise. Yeah. yeah. He's
3: a big hit.
1: And he's lived at Bear Pond Books for how long?
3: Um, he's been around, uh, we've had him for like almost 20 years. 20 years? years? Yeah. I don't know. He's been around a while. And uh, he he used to be at Rivendell Books and then he moved over to Bear Pond Books.
1: This is when they did and, the big consolidation, uh, yes. which seems yesterday um, to me.
3: Yeah, so he is uh he's got a really big fan base. He's got an Instagram following like you would not believe.
1: Yeah.
4: People come from all over <laughs> just to see Varuca. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and but you can then see Veruca, but then you can sort of just plop down in a chair. And kind of take stuff off the shelf and just kind of do whatever you want to do. If you're, to
4: you can hang out as long as you want. If you're 3 to
1: 63. We'll even 63. lock you in
4: at night. And you can just <laughs> stay all night and yeah. read everything you can.
1: Uh, okay, let's go over the program. This is the Florida Freedom to Read Project. Yes. You can go to bearpondbooks.com. Yes. Click on the uh, scrolling th- 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 thing at the top banner. of the banner, at the <laughs> top of the page, and buy your sweatshirt, which says...
3: Uh,
4: read more, ban less.
3: less.
1: Read more, ban less. And buy uh, the books of our two local authors, whose names are...
4: Keckla Magoon and Corey McCarthy.
1: And... Claire and Jane will wrap them up and put them in a box <laughs> and send them to the Florida Freedom to Read Project. Uh, and you can learn more about the Florida Freedom to Read Project at fftrp.org. Claire, Benedict, and Jane Knight, anything else? Sum it all up. I'm I'm trying to put on my I'm trying to be skeptical here and say there's got to be something that's inappropriate for kids and you're saying uh there are this, the appropriate safeguards are in place but I for me the appropriate, it's it you can't legislate this stuff it seems to me you have to have highly trained well trained caring humans in charge of these things and they make good decisions
4: Pretty much, you know. Yep, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's how you got it. But it's not black and white. That's yeah. for sure. It's not black and white. But
3: unfortunately, it's a lot of black authors that are being banned. So still, so what does that have to do? Uh, books oh, about black yeah. history, absolutely. Those are the things Ruby that are Bridges. being banned. The Ruby yeah. Bridges. They don't want kids to learn about black history.
1: Ruby Bridges, the great integrator, <laughs> I believe, who integrated the Little Rock, Arkansas, elementary school. But I that's might have so that wrong. I know. We'll look it up and come back after the break. Um, wow. Okay. In honor of Ruby Bridges, uh, thank you. Jane Knight, Claire Benedict from Bear Pond Books. It's the Florida Freedom to Read Project. Uh, go online at bearpond.com, bearpondbooks.com. Buy the book. They'll send them down to Florida so kids can uh, they can start putting books back on shelves and get them in the hands of kids. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, Kevin. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Anytime. Everybody, s- meet me at Bear Pond Books. I'll be there, no he, doubt. He
3: will. He always is.
1: <laughs> it's Kevin Ellis. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on the Friendly Pioneer, WDEV. on vermont viewpoint we're back on vermont viewpoint i'm kevin ellis on wdev and guess who we have on our regular friday 10 o'clock call the, the one and only bob nay from dc hello bob hey how are you kevin good morning i'm well thank you um i can't start uh, our weekly chat without going out to your old stomping grounds in east palestine ohio uh there seems to be kind of a delayed reaction, but the citizens are now angry at the uh, at the uh, Norfolk Railroad
5: Company.
7: Right, and you know, Kevin, uh, and I've said this when I've been asked about this, you know, in other states, that there were there were so many items that came out. I call them items, but you know, the, Pete Buttigieg didn't uh, get there fast enough. He then attacked Trump. Trump's people attacked Obama, and. Everybody blamed Biden, and you know, on and on and on, and all of these issues came out, and it was you know, they were carried by the media. But the underlying issues, what is what you're just mentioning now, it's always been there. What about the railroad? What about the responsibility? And what's going to happen? It's a it's a community of four thousand some people. So imagine if. One was trying to downsize, maybe move uh, where their grandkids are, you know, to Columbus, Ohio, let's say. How are you going to sell your house? Who on earth would buy a house up there? Nobody. So that's another side issue. The immediate issue is the health. You know, is it safe? Uh, What's the toxic levels within the soil? Where did the chemicals go? So there's all these questions, and people are quite upset. And people downriver, by the way, because my my grandkids are all within 70 miles down the Ohio River, uh, have had a bit of a scare, too, and want more information about the water supply because Steubenville, Ohio, 34 miles from us, had contamination in its water. So a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of anger and and, uh, problems within that community.
1: Uh, Bob? We are, we are now in a, an environment where the Republicans control the House of Representatives and therefore the oversight, uh, capacity by Congress of the executive branch. And we're gonna be treated to a long parade of, uh, investigations of the Biden administration over all sorts of things, the Department of Justice, the January 6th uh, situation. But most of all, the president's son, Hunter Biden, um, a recovering uh, uh, addict who uh, can, conf- you know, who admittedly did all sorts of crazy things when he was in the throes of addiction. Uh, the Republicans are going to investigate him. Uh, till the cows come home. Can you give us an update on the status of that?
7: Well, I think they had to be careful with the first item that you uh, mentioned, and uh, which is the addiction. When I say be careful, some people, and you know, including people that I know or people on Facebook, have been making light of his addiction. And and uh, you know, uh, I'm uh, a recovering alcoholic uh, since September 2006. Luckily, I have you know not relapsed I've been in recovery and I also sponsor people uh, that are trying to get you know sober and and I sponsor a lot of people who are drug addicts so I I just wanted to mention that you know for disclosure purposes that it's a subject that I think we have to be very uh, careful on because uh, people are drug addicts and they and they do things now that doesn't excuse you know anyone from actions that they do that are of a criminal nature I, I fully understand that but when some people have began to, oh, well, you know, he's look at him, look what he did. He's an addict. Well, that's a that's a secondary side to this. So I, I'm sure that you know the investigations would take a look at what he's done or what he's done illegally, you know, or or not. And I would hope they would keep the the other side of any type of you know derogatory or making fun of of a person's problem, you know, out of this out of the scope of it. But it's. There's going to be some problems, and Hunter Biden has some problems, and there's going to be reoccurring, you know, looks at these, and it's there's just probably going to be some very, very ugly things that are going to arise out of this. Now, like anything, investigations can be overdone. If the Republicans don't pay attention to what's going on, I think, Kevin, in normal, regular life, inflation, balancing the nation's budget, education you know, issues in communities that communities care about. So I think there's got to be a balance. It's just all investigations. They're going to run into trouble in a couple of years.
1: Is there uh, any legislating going on? uh, Is the House Republican majority focused all on this, or is there legislating going on between the House and the Senate and the White House?
7: Well, they just did a bill that uh, they're going to, quote, win on, and that's, dealing with Washington, D.C. They were basically overturning some of the of the issues that the Washington, D.C. Council had come to terms with how they wanted to have bail, you know, et cetera, things like that. So the Republicans pushed it. It got support in the Senate, and the president's not going to veto it. So they're looking at that as a win. But that's a very isolated issue dealing with the District of Columbia. That struggle's always been there between... You know, the Congress technically runs the district and and then the council. But as far as other issues, they're going to continue to have the Republicans' will and agenda. Of course, it's a very tight vote in the Senate. Now, looking at what the Supreme Court's doing and how it's looking at executive orders, that's going to be fascinating because if the court clamps down more on executive orders, then it's sort of more incumbent on President Biden, House Republicans, and Senate Democrats to come up with something when it comes to legislation. Now, will that force, you know, some compromise in legislation? I don't know yet, but the Republicans will have to put some type of agenda together in the House. And I would note this because I was there when we had both a Republican Senate and we had a Democrat Senate. And I've served under both. Uh, the, Repo- the Republicans in the House are going to have to pass what they want as an agenda, whether it passes in the Senate or not. Uh, they, they, they just can't sit and say, well, we're only going to pass what we think we can pass in the Senate. They're going to have to continue to put bills over to the Senate. Uh,
1: and and you refer to the uh, what seems to be a leaning by the United States Supreme Court, at least by judging from their public questions in cases about the student loan uh, order by President Biden forgiving millions and millions in student loan debt on the part of American students. Um, and uh, I've got to ask you a political question What's in it for Republicans to be against forgiving student loan debt for American students?
6: Well, this one's got some
7: controversy to it. For the, for the Republican side, there's a lot of people out there in America. In fact, I, I had three conversations on purpose yesterday, I would tell you, Kevin, anticipating you know questions on the shows here. But I had three conversations with people. They don't have a dog in the hunt, as we say. But I said, well, what do you think about the student loan program? Now these were all people who have not been to college. Very interesting what you hear back. You know, they're laborers, they're working, they're putting up drywall, you know, another's an electrician. They weren't harsh about it, but they said, you know, well, I didn't go to college, but I'm worth something and why aren't my credit cards being paid? So there's another whole side to this issue of who's getting the student loan forgiveness. What type of income do they have? You know, so there, there's maybe some appeal for the Republicans to have weighed in on this, but the Supreme Court's going to, going to rule on this. And I, you know, as you mentioned the court, I always hate to prejudge what I think they're going to do because you just don't know. But I think they're going to probably not allow the executive order of President Biden based on the fact that Congress didn't authorize. So then, this whole this whole program comes right back into their lap, where you're going to have people that have student loans petitioning their members of Congress to get them paid, and other people weighing in on the other direction. So this this issue may very well come right back to the Republicans' lap, and then we'll have to see what they do about it.
1: And let's go to Ukraine uh, for our last uh, discussion. Uh, is is Republican support for the Uh, for our efforts on that war, are they softening, or are we as strong as ever?
7: I think they're a little bit mixed. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who doesn't speak for the entire Republican Party, obviously, but she comes out, you know, she's uh, she's against, it seems, the money, period. Now, some members of Congress, Republicans, have come out and said, look, we're for helping the Ukraine, but... There's no blank checks. We want to see how the whole budget process is going and how it fits into it, which is probably, you know, going to be okay. They will still remain in the support Ukraine column. So I think in general, Republicans are are there on the support for it in general. But you do have some people that don't want it all. And that's why I mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene, because she she gets a lot of publicity. But of course, she's not running the issue. You know, it's it's up to the speaker and uh, the other Republicans.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I it, I do I am reading a story in the New York Times that says that Biden is being challenged by softening public support. There, you know, you do get to a point where there's taxpayer fatigue. You know, Biden finally gets us out of Afghanistan after the endless war there, only to have our uh, not not our blood, but our treasure uh, going to Ukraine in a way that some people might find hard to understand. There's no question that the
7: appetite for the Ukraine, it's still there, but it's not, you know, what it was, because I think they thought it would stop earlier. I think NATO made a big mistake of not doing a no-fly zone. Personally, NATO, not just us, we're part of NATO, right. doing a no-fly zone. And so this goes on and on. And uh, after a while, you're right, I've seen it happen when I was in office. People are like, okay, let's go, let's go get them. And then if it goes too long and people want to you know, cut their losses and go. Some people do. So, yes, it's it's definitely not where it was, you know, a year ago.
1: Bob Nay, as always, uh, from Washington, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure.
7: Thank you so much, Kevin.
1: Okay. Uh, We'll be back with Seven Days reporter Sasha Goldstein after this break. I'm Kevin Ellis. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We are back. And we are – it's Kevin Ellis on Vermont Viewpoint, and we're joined by Sasha Goldstein of Seven Days uh, Newspaper and Website. Sasha, welcome to the show.
8: Hey, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Okay. Here we go. i got to tell you, I've been uh, taking texts from both sides of this story from partisans on both sides since about 6 a.m. this morning. So <laughs> here we go. You uh, wrote with your – uh a colleague Derek Brower this week, a story about the money that flowed into the campaign coffers of now sitting Congresswoman Becca Ballant in her primary run against Molly Gray and others for Congress. Uh, and so uh, some people think that money, which amounted to, as you calculate, some sixty plus thousand dollars, not including, the nearly $1 million that flowed uh into a dark money super PAC led by a guy I know very well, Marty Rouse, uh, which ran TV ads and other promotion of balance campaigns. So with that set up, I'm going to let you take it from there. What did you and Derek find in your story?
8: Yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, there was, um, some some big money that came from these guys sort of uh, connected to the FTX uh, cryptocurrency exchange and that I think the ballot campaign knew there might be some um, contributions in June after they got this. Uh, they got an endorsement from a group called Guarding Against Pandemics, um, which was run by the brother of Sam Bankman fried the now disgraced mogul at, at FTX. Um, once they got that endorsement, I think they knew some people associated with guarding against yes pandemics um, might might donate, and they got a couple twenty nine hundred dollar contributions. I think what was um, more surprising was after it came out. So right in 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 August, we reported that Nishad Singh, this FTX uh, head of engineering, you know, had. Uh, given a million dollars to the LGBTQ Victory Fund Federal PAC, and that money had been used to um support Becca Balance campaign. So so I think what was surprising and that's come out more recently is that first uh vtdigger.org reported and then and then we sort of found more contributions. But um after that in October there were more max contributions from Nishad Singh Um, You know, the Bankman freed that, you know, which was surprising because at the time, Natalie Silver, uh, balance campaign manager, I talked about how Nishat Singh's, you know, million dollar contribution had been problematic. So I guess, you know, then they also did accept um, more more contributions from from that crew. So. Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of money that I guess we, we are now learning is, appears to have been stolen from, um, customers of the FTX cryptocurrency exchange, which I think is maybe the most astounding, um, part of this whole story is that little old Vermont, uh, was, um, sort of uh, the victim or, or, or played a part in this huge um, this huge scandal that's engulfed the cryptocurrency world, um, one of the biggest frauds. I mean, people bring up Bernie Madoff, you know, Enron. What, what's happened with FTX is kind of on that level. And here we are, our, our, you know, little old state, Our this historic election that was going down between, you know, two women who were fighting to be the first woman to represent uh, Vermont in Congress. It was sort of, as, as we said, sort of tarnished in, in the end by this Stolen million dollars that was pumped into it in the last month of the primary last year. So, is there any evidence
1: that? And I think this is an art. Well, I'll quote a uh, an advisor to Molly Gray, Carolyn Dwyer, in your story that says, mm-hmm. "This guy sitting in the Bahamas and his other buddies not only bilked customers, but they impacted the outcome of a really historical, significant race in Vermont." Is there any evidence in your reporting that that is a true statement? That it that Uh, that the that the money had a material impact on the outcome of the race?
8: um, I mean, I don't think you can say that definitely. I mean, I think you. So here's here's the thing. What does outcome mean? Does that mean who won or who lost? yeah or the margin the margin I guess that, that that's the question, right? I think people look at outcome and they think, well, you're saying that um Molly Gray would have won if 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 this money hadn't come in, and I don't think that's what Carolyn Dwyer is saying i think I think most people agree that Becca Ballon at this point in the race was um probably was ahead, and I think the Ballon campaign had they did have polling showing as much, yeah they did um, that's right wh- whether the margin would have been um, two percentage points or what it ultimately was, you know, some like 20, whatever it was, 20, 20 points. Um, you know, did, did that impact the outcome? I, I would, I would imagine. I, I, I don't, I can't say definitely. Um, but, uh, right. You know. If
1: the, you're right. If, if the, uh, dark money, super PAC money, uh, had not happened, there'd be a million less dollars flowing into the, campaign advertising ecosystem during that race.
8: Right. And what did that, what did that do? Did it turn on some voters who didn't, who didn't know who Becca Ballant were before? I mean, right. The big thing um, would have been name recognition for her, I think. Um, And when each person in Vermont got seven mailers with her name and her policy, um, uh, positions on it. You know, I talked to I talked to uh, the congresswoman after the primary and she she acknowledged she was getting these mailers herself. Um, so the blanket campaign that happened there, I mean, I don't I, I, I can't say for sure. But did it change um, the the margin of victory? Very possibly. Right. I, I just can't say for sure. So I, I don't know in that Carolyn Dwyer quote, She's obviously a partisan. I mean, she's a supporter of, of Molly Gray. But I think her, what she's saying there, I think is something that, um, you know, it, it undoubtedly impacted this historic race. And I don't think that is, um, is, is false. I mean, we spent the last months and we're still talking about it, about this money being in the race. It became a major issue in the race, right? I mean, Molly Gray stood up on June 9th had a campaign and asked Becca Ballin if she would denounce outside spending. And she said, yes. And from that point on, the big discussion about this race was outside spending, even before it started. And when it did a month later, you know, it really picked up. Um, yeah. So again, I, you know, it, it, it was absolutely a, a major factor in this, in this election and a major issue.
1: So, so the guy who, who, Pumped all this money into, uh, Mr. Singh, who pumped all this money into the dark money super PAC, pled guilty Tuesday to six criminal counts, uh, of including conspiracy, uh, and apologized. Um, and, and what I find really interesting about yours and other stories is the reporting about, um, the, the way in which this money, the cynical way in which Washington works. And how they, behind closed doors, decide, okay, let's send this money to this person uh, because we need to send some money to the woke crowd, um, and then we need to send some money to conservatives to cover our bases over there. It, it yeah. strikes me, and we're going to talk about this uh, in the in the last half hour of the show at length. It just strikes me as the whole system is rotten from the core. Uh,
9: yeah,
1: d- does have- your reporting yeah. find that?
8: I, I mean, I, I, I think so. I think what we tried to do in this story was, you know, we've sort of written about this piecemeal, right? We've There have been, like, different shoes that have dropped along the way, right? And the, the filing that we saw uh, last week, a superseding indictment against Sam Bankman-Fried, where it described this – like you described it, the cynical ploy to um, contribute to woke organizations um, – Absolutely, I think shows the, the, how how corrupted this the system is by the money. Um, and you know, uh, the, the the big thing here, I think, too, about that is they chose an LGBTQ group, right? Right. And that gave the ballot campaign cover to say, if you're if you're denouncing this outside spending, I mean, there were, we have a quote in our story this week where Natalie Silver. Uh, balance campaign manager came up and basically said, you know, something about how you're almost against the gay agenda. Um, And then it comes out, you know, just last week that this whole thing had nothing to do with the gay agenda and like gay rights. It was a cynical ploy to pump money under the guise of this LGBTQ group. And I think that is really shocking. Um, And, you know, that, that implication that Molly Gray was homophobic, that had real world implications for her on the campaign trail where she wanted to go March in a a gay pride parade. And she had to go talk to the the group ahead of of time um, because they were worried about this issue. So um, this, I, I, again, I think there are these little tendrils that this created um, into how it impacted the campaign and to just say, you know, just to look at it of like who would have won and who didn't win, I, I think is the wrong way to look at this. I think the way to look at this is no matter what side you're on, the problem is that a million dollars of allegedly stolen money came into play in Vermont's campaign, whether it impacted the race or not. That should be concerning to every single person in this state. I mean, I you know, I, I just I think Um, That's what the story kind of lays out is how this system works and how Vermont um, was a a battleground for this this whole thing.
1: Right. And in addition to the nearly one million dollars, and I've got my finger on your story in the paper, direct contributions to Ballant. Now, Senator Peter Welch and the Vermont Democratic Party total at least $67,000. According to you, your review of Federal Election Commission records, Peter Welch's office declined to discuss whether he met with these people. Um, Becca Ballin did meet. So did Molly Gray. Uh the, the, Again, uh look, we've got a system here that... That you are uncovering and that and what you said, I think you said shocked and Casablanca came to mind, um, you know, that we're sh- absolutely shocked that gambling is going on in this, you know, nice. this kind of money has been going on in this system. And I've seen it up close in 30 uh, in my 30 years. This kind of money has been in our system since the beginning and getting rid of it is proving really, really difficult. Um is that what Absolutely. is that sort of your conclusion from your reporting?
8: Yeah, I mean, I think we you know we talked to Jim Dan, Dan at the um, at the Vermont Democratic Party, and you know he he said he said you know it's an ugly situation, yeah. But he also when we asked about these contributions, you know, he said they came um, you know from the National Democratic uh, National Committee, um, but he, he the, his defense was almost that you know. We're fighting against Republican extremists and we need every dollar we can get.
1: Oh, that's exactly so, what he says. Sure.
8: So, so here we are. Um, the, the way to rationalize it is we're the good guys and we're, we're playing within the, the system and we're just doing what has to be done. So, so yeah. sure. I mean, everything we, I don't think anything in our story set is implying or saying anything that happened was illegal. But I think what we're trying to do is is lay out a roadmap for how the system works. I think sometimes in Vermont, we can forget about that because it is generally collegial and especially a Democratic primary. I mean, that's not the time you expect to see, you know, a million dollars of outside spending. And I think, again, I think the the shocking part about it is maybe not even the amount that was spent, but I think the fact that it was part of this. Conspiracy by these STX moguls to influence policymakers in Washington. I think yeah. you know we're really it's, it's pulling back the curtain on how um, these deep-pocketed donors they they there are um, they have a goal in in the money they're giving, and I think that is was laid bare in that indictment we saw. That.
1: Sasha Goldstein, keep pulling back the curtain. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot.
8: Yeah, thanks so much, Kevin.
1: Okay, the phones are lit up. We're going to take calls in the
0: next half hour about
1: this subject.
0: Stay tuned. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. And we're back.
1: We are at Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis on WDEV. Uh, we are going to continue for the rest of the show talking about the backup balance, uh, uh receipt of of campaign dollars from the now disgraced Sam bankman fried and other crypto billionaires, although it's pretty clear from the seven days reporting that Becca Ballant didn't know that those were disgraced billionaires when she and the Democratic Party and now Senator Peter Welch and many others took those campaign contributions. We're going to go right to the phones and everybody take a deep breath. I know everybody's really excited about, uh, the, gets really excited about these political issues. And this, this discuss, discussion can get out of hand. But uh, everybody take a deep breath. And we're going to keep digging and look for insight into this issue. Rama from Williamstown, you're on the show. Welcome to the show.
6: Yeah. Good morning. Listen, two quick points, and then I'll get out of the way. The first is my major complaint with the news coverage on this FTX story is that the headlines keep directly, visually connecting Becca Bailant with FTX. That is knowingly dishonest. And we know that that's being dishonest because even that reporter you had on just a bit ago, his last assessment of it was an assessment of what the real story was about, this huge systemic issue of money corrupting our politics. I would like to suggest is a different frame. You and I are victims of FTX. Becca Bailent and her campaign are victims. The Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the whole political system, we are victims of both FTX and a self-created corrupt system of money. Thank you. Uh,
1: that's exactly the point that I was trying to make with Sasha, the reporter, that this is less a story about Becca Ballant than it is about a system that we have allowed uh, to take over our politics. If you are Becca Ballant or Molly Gray in that primary race and you get a call from somebody who wants to give you the max contribution of $2,900, you're going to take that check. And at the time, Becca Ballant didn't know and, and – Heck, she didn't even, I mean, it doesn't make it up to her, uh, her campaign managers dealing with this or her finance directors dealing with it. They didn't know that Sam Bankman Freed, freed is a, is a, is a, is a, uh, I'm looking for a charitable word, the, is a now disgraced crypto billionaire, nor this guy Singh. Uh, they're trying to fund their campaign as fast and as much as they possibly can, and that is the system we've created. And Molly Gray was doing the same thing. Now, the Molly Gray people would say, uh, that when asked to take a certain position on, let me get this right, on, uh, on the, the, uh, the, the pandemic, uh, Molly Gray declined and Becca Ballant agreed and put something on her website, uh, to that effect around the pandemic policy because she agreed with the donor's position on the policy. Um, that's grinding it a little fine uh, by my lights, but I understand the distinction. Uh, but again, these are candidates that are in a system that are, that, that they are grubbing for as many dollars as they possibly can. I've seen it up close. I see how it works and it's pretty tough to criticize candidates for trying to raise as much money as they can from anybody possible uh, when we refuse as a society to do public financing of campaigns. And we allow, and the United Sup- States Supreme Court has allowed, through Citizens United, these dark money groups to spend unlimited cash with groups that support certain campaigns. And that's what we've chosen to do as a, as a public. And I'm not sure that blaming Becca Ballant is the answer. I have a feeling we should look in the mirror or at the Vermont Supreme Court. We're going to take another call from Ken in Milton. Ken, you're on the line. Welcome to the show.
5: Thanks so much. So my question is, after Molly Gray called out the Super PAC support, what we now know is fraudulent. Ballant's campaign manager put out a statement calling Gray homophobic. As this scandal has unfolded, Silver, not Ballant, has been the spokeswoman answering questions from the press. Have you done any reporting on the internal dynamics of the Ballant campaign? Did Ballant Ballant approve this statement? Is Silver's job in jeopardy given or at risk of criminal charges based on how poorly her statements have aged?
1: I love it when callers read the question on the the air. Thank you for the question. Answer is, I don't know. I know Natalie Silver. Uh, I know her to be a smart and aggressive campaign operative who defends her candidate at all costs. I also know that they – well, I don't know this to be a fact, but I I would speculate that the campaign of Becca Ballant is under either advisement or orders from the Department of Justice, not to mention their own lawyer – to keep their mouth shut as much as they possibly can while the department of justice figures this out. Uh, if I were a betting man, no, I don't think, uh, I don't think anybody on the ballot campaign, uh, is in jeopardy of any kind of, uh, uh, uh criminal prosecution. They were, they were, they were advocating for their, uh for their candidate and, uh, in a system that we have set up, um, uh, but that's that's the extent of my knowledge. Um, what I do know, Ken, and as I said, I've watched this up close over 30 years as a reporter, a lobbyist, a campaign advisor. Let me tell you, uh, if somebody offers you $2,900 and they are not the mafia and not a criminal and not a convicted felon, you're going to take that money. And I don't blame them, frankly. Now, I would say this as a piece of communications advice to the ballot campaign, and they're all going to scoff at me. Uh, and this goes to Peter Welch. Uh, Bernie Sanders is a whole different kettle of fish, but uh, someday somebody is going to say, I'm not taking any money from these people at all. I will not take, I will, I will tell all the dark money super PACs not to raise money on my behalf. I will not accept checks to my campaign. And I will run this campaign completely on checks under $250 from Vermonters. And if I were Becca Ballant, I would do that. Because that will send a message to all of the voters in Vermont that I am not bought and paid for. Not that she is. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you take a page out of old George Aikens, uh playbook and you say, I'm not taking money from any of these people. Uh, I reject the system that we're in. And I got to tell you, I think Becca Ballard could fund her reelection campaign just on checks from Vermonters um, and have total 100% integrity and deniability uh, in doing so. Um, okay. Getting that out of the way, we've dealt with Ken from Milton. Now we're going to deal with Daryl in Middlesex. Welcome to the show, Daryl.
10: Thanks for having me. I hope you don't have to deal with me too much. Um, my, I think you've summed up a lot of the thoughts that I have on the, on the situation quite well. And, and I agree with you completely that it is a, a shame that we ask our candidates to operate within this system of and it's been sanctioned by the Supreme Court in terms of the financing. But I guess what troubles me is that as, as many issues as the system has, it is still the system. And we ask people to play by the same rules within that system. And so I'm, I'm concerned about, it and I'm curious for your thoughts, the ballot campaign, it, it, you know, there was, there was, it seemed as if there might have been coordinated messaging with stuff on, on the ballot website. Um, and, and I'm curious, why that wouldn't be within that system? This broken system, sure, but why that wouldn't be considered some sort of illicit coordination with the pack? Um, right. And I, I'm, I'm less, I'm less convinced than you are. I think that that the that the DOJ might find something because of that, because there does seem to be such kind of strong ties. But I, I am curious for your thoughts on that.
5: Sure. Thank you. Sure. And full
1: disclosure. So the the outreach director for the dark money pack. Uh, who's in that story, Marty Rouse? He is a friend of mine. Uh, I've known him for 25 years. We worked very closely. I was the lo- one of the lobbyists on the same-sex marriage law in Vermont, and Marty and I worked very closely together on that. And he raised a lot of money. So I've, as I say, I've seen this up close. Um, but, but having said that, there is no evidence, I don't think, that I've seen in in the press or anywhere else that there was coordination between the Marty Rouse Dark Super PAC and the Ballot Campaign. The Ballot campaign has denied it. I don't think that uh that anybody from the Gray campaign has unearthed any evidence and I don't think journalists have either. So there is no evidence of collusion between the Ballot campaign and the Dark Money Pack. Um, I know that's hard for people to believe. Um and I, I do know that has there been coordination, wink, wink, nod, nod with dark money super PACs and other candidates around this country? No doubt. Uh, but asking the federal election commission, which is a paper tiger if there ever was one to police the system, uh, and, uh, is a joke and the Department of Justice, uh, you know, uh, we have a Department of Justice. They'll get to the bottom of whatever there needs to be gotten to the bottom of. But uh, and you're entitled, of course, to be skeptical about whether there was collusion between the super PAC and the ballot campaign. I haven't seen any evidence about it. And I'll keep reading seven days in VT Digger just the way you are. Lewis in South Burlington. You're on uh, VT Viewpoint with Kevin Ellis. Welcome to the show.
8: Well, thank you. You know, one thing that I, I noticed during the campaign was the press itself seemed to have little uh, curiosity as this money, gusher of money, came in in the last six weeks. Um, I don't know that we've ever seen this in, in a Vermont election, this amount of money in, in this short of time. And the press itself didn't seem to have any interest. Uh, it was left up to Molly Gray to be questioning where it was coming from. What, did the press have any role here?
1: That's a great question, and I think that was Dr. Lewis from South Burlington, one of the, one of the opponents in that primary. Welcome well, to the show. We're I glad to have you.
8: Thanks a lot. I did get to see this rather close up at hand, but uh, but it is a question. Where was the press when it was actually happening, and could they have done a little bit more questioning or investigation of their own?
1: Okay, this is sort of full disclosure conflict of interest day for me. Let's see, having been on the board of VT Digger when that coverage was uh, happening and been a journalist at the Burlington Free Press back in the ancient days of the 1990s, uh, I'm disclosing that I, of course, the board at VT Digger has nothing to do with their editorial coverage, and I can promise you that. Uh, but you raise a really good question, and I think, you know, the question, where was the press, I think that's a legitimate question, you know, all the time. And I get asked this question every day and we're going to take up the answer, uh, after the break because we got to take one more break and we'll be back. We're going to keep talking about this on the phones. Uh, I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont viewpoint on WDEV. We're back. We're talking about the seven days story and the ongoing story about uh, the disgraced crypto billionaire campaign funds flowing into the campaign coffers of Vermont politicians, now Senator Peter Welch, the Vermont Democratic Party, and now Congresswoman Becca Ballant. Uh, and I want to go back to Lewis's uh, question about who was one of the candidates in that primary race, along with uh, now State Senator Keisha Rahm Hinsdale, Um I want to go back to his question, where was the press back during the campaign? But before I do, I want to say I know both Becca Ballant and Molly Gray. Um, they are both, uh, really good people and, uh, worked really hard in that race. I wasn't, I wasn't a part of any one of those races. Uh, but, uh, Vermont would be lucky to have both of them. So, uh, and, uh, I hope actually th- Vermont does have both of them in some capacity in the future because uh, we're dealing with a broken campaign finance system that uh, forces – doesn't force, but it incentivizes uh, political candidates to do things that they would not otherwise do. And that is to take a maximum of $2,900 checks from people they don't know to fund their campaigns, and that's – The sugar beet growers who create the high fructose corn syrup in the poison soda that we drink. It's the Sam Bankman freed crypto billionaires. It's the dairy, uh, uh, you know, the dairy industry. It's, you know, it's a never ending. And I'll tell you what happens. And I've seen it up close. Uh, members of Congress, they leave their office. They go into a special room that is set aside for them, no windows, uh, two doors down from on their office on Capitol Hill and they go there for the sole purpose and they are accompanied by an aide. gives them an index card or it's on the computer screen in front of them and all they do is dial for dollars and they're off their official government time and they're on campaign time and they're calling people like you and me but mostly they're calling rich people and they're asking them for $2,900 checks. And that's what goes on. And we accept it. Uh, the United States Supreme Court accepts it. And when that, when you have that kind of system, people like Molly Gray, Becca Ballant, Peter Welch, and others, uh, have, have no, well, they do have a choice. They can not do it. Uh, but they do do it because they want to get elected because they believe that they can help Vermonters by getting elected. That's the system we have. Now, Dr. Lewis, where was the press? Uh, it's tempting to always see the press as either allied secretly with one side or, uh, you know, why weren't they there? They're incompetent. The, you know, the pre- the answer to that is the press is human like the rest of us. They're not paid as well as they should be. Uh, some of them are young. Uh, you know, the the press screws up uh, and the First Amendment allows them to screw up. Uh I, it's, it's a, it's a myth to me that the press takes sides. Uh, does Sasha Goldstein at seven days think that it's crazy that crypto billionaire money got into the campaign of Becca Ballant and Peter Welch? Yeah, he does. Reporters have a point of view, but sometimes it takes a while for, uh, the reporter to kind of pull on the string of the story in a way that actually helps them get to the heart of the story. And in the heat of covering a campaign, that is sometimes not easy to do because you've got charges and counter charges and you have to, you have to cover all that stuff. So that's not a very good answer, but I think it's true. Uh Pat in Middlebury, you're on the line. Welcome to the show.
5: Good morning. How are you? Thank you. Good. Good. Hey, um, Interesting topic for sure, and I, I agree with you to a sense that they probably didn't know where that money came from. They do now, obviously. Right. Um, hopefully, they hopefully they do the right thing and and uh, uh, kick it to the curb, do whatever you got to do with it. Um, I'm sure there was no intent there. Um, I, I'm not a I'm not a fan of them, but you know what? I think they're doing the right things, and and they'll do the right thing down there, whether I agree with them or not. But nonetheless, I was. Listening to VPR uh, yesterday, and I heard a uh, in the afternoon show of a guy that did a reporting on QAnon. Um, the, the folks that were at uh, January 6th and supposedly were behind the big riot. I would say they were mainly behind the big riot. I agree with the reporter. He infiltrated himself within this organization right. to report on it. Uh, kind of brave kind of silly at some point, but although he got to the bottom of it. Um, my question to you is, and, and, and I'm setting you up. You guys know I'm going to set uh, you up. I love it. If, if President Trump, and I know you don't like to call him President Trump, but I call him President Trump because it's out of respect because he was our president. Yeah. If he was to receive money from QAnon on his next run for presidency, would you still have the same look at this? And you know darn well the press would be all over it before even that money hit his bank account. Uh, you want to debate that or uh, you just uh, want to hang uh, up on me and keep moving?
1: No, you stay right on the line, Pat. Don't go anywhere.
5: Okay, okay. okay um, fair enough.
1: My answer is yes. I'd absolutely talk about that on the show
5: but would you be as center as you are now with with uh uh, re, uh representative ballot? um
8: oh Andre, i see your point
5: you know right. what i'm saying yeah. would you be as neutral well i'd say neutral you're left as we know but neutral
8: <laughs> <one>. <laughs> i love
1: it <laughs> love it, <laughs> love it. <laughs> Pat, you're my favorite call got, of the month.
5: i um, got to pull you back to the center. I, I just got three texts from somebody, from three different people that view things similar to me. And, and I'm not all the way to the right, but they all said, Pat, you need to call in and pull him back to the center. Oh,
8: so, love it.
1: Love it. Uh, sure. yeah, <laughs> Yes. Uh, here's the distinction I'm going to make. I think that the January 6th people, the, the QAnon people... Uh, who tried to kill police officers and kill Correct. the vice president of the United States, who's a Republican, yeah. by the way. Uh, yeah. I think they're a bigger threat to the democracy than little Sam Bankman Fried and his crypto billionaires, despite all their money. Uh, right. because those guys were going to steal the ballots and overturn the election. Um, now the, the, you could argue that the, the crypto billionaire people and their dirty money is as big a threat to democracy in a lot of ways. And I'm no. kind of thinking off the top of my head here, but uh, would I do a show about, about uh, uh, QAnon money going into the Trump campaign? I'd do a show about crypto money going into any campaign, Republican, Democrat, or progressive. Yes. Okay. So, I, pr-
5: so I promise you. you. Okay, I I take that promise, but I won't hold you to it because, you know, just because. Hopefully we don't have to have this discussion again. Now, that being said, have you, you you should take the time and look this, this, this show up because this guy brings what goes on inside of QAnon is scary stuff. Agreed. What they did at, what they did at our house in Washington DC is wrong. Totally wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You and I agree on that one. I'll tell you that right now. That was was totally wrong. It should have never happened. Unfortunately, it did. And hopefully it never happens again.
1: Okay. Pat, I got to go. But listen, please keep calling in because I love these discussions.
5: Okay. You bet. You betcha. Thank Uh, you. Have a great weekend. Okay.
1: One more call quickly. Mary from Colchester, 10 seconds.
9: Hey, Kevin, I wanted to thank you for making the point that these are both uh, good people um because i think that's important but i do think that one thing that hasn't been brought out enough is that um becca for whatever reason just showed poor judgment um and where this money was coming from and i feel like molly showed the judgment that i would want in somebody in the house that you know this may be good too good to be true to have this money coming in and final point is that i think that sasha in his reporting um, showed that you know there was some understanding of of what the money was coming from because of the whole red box thing. Which to be honest, so, I don't really understand how that all works. Yeah, I know that that was something he was trying to point out.
1: Serious questions for serious discussion. Thank you. That's our show. You can find me at kevinkellis dot com. Our show is directed and produced today by Greg Titus. Thank you so much for joining us. Great discussion. I'm Kevin Ellis. We'll see you right back here Wednesday next week, live radio on the friendly pioneer WDEV.